Good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing? Good morning. So Patrick was like, um, you're going to speak about 9-11, and I'm going to go to Africa, and that's it. So <laughs> thanks a lot to Patrick. Um, it's weird. So I was actually – anyone of us can talk about this, right, because we'll remember this for the rest of our lives. And it's weird for me to talk about it. I don't know why I'm talking about it uh, other than Patrick asked me. But I'll share a little bit what happened from my perspective and really my father. I wish my dad was here to share what he went through because he was right there. Uh, so I was in Albany uh, at college, and I just remember hearing somebody say, you know, we're being attacked or something. I'm thinking, you know, it's just a stoner, another stoner in my school thinking it's a joke. And then you see the, you know, I remember being in in the lunchroom and seeing this on the TV and I'm feeling like I'm in a movie and this is not real. And then it hits, it hits me that my dad's office is one block away or two blocks away. And it's just panic. It's just what's happening right now. Can I get in touch with him? And, um, none of the phones worked. His office phone didn't work. And it was just a matter of getting in touch with him. And we're executive recruiters. Uh, it's a family business. And we actually placed people that died in that building. And my dad had to live with that, too. So he, my dad actually, when the first plane hit, had somebody on an interview at the, uh, at the World Trade. And uh, he went towards the building to make sure that person was all right. Because that's the type of guy my dad is. So uh, that person got out fine. Uh, my dad wound up uh, running back, and uh, he keeps. He told me about him being on on the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, and just thinking the the building was going to hit him when he was on the Brooklyn Bridge because that's how massive the buildings were. The first building had already gone down at that point. So we got in touch with him later that evening. Everything was fine, you know. But my dad really felt the experience of it. And I didn't get an idea of it. I stayed in school. I talked to him a lot on the phone. And it was so it was just so strange and bizarre just from baseball game. I was playing baseball at Albany and just going about practice every day. It was just a very bizarre experience, which I'm sure we all went through. It didn't hit me until Thanksgiving. I came home, and I, I went to work with my dad uh, one day really just to see the, the fallout of what happened. And my dad's office was on, at that time, it was on John Street. And it basically just right overlooks. We went to the roof of his building. And you can see, you could just see the pure devastation of what happened. And just rubble of these two buildings. We sell, we, I remember when I graduated high school, my dad took our family to Windows of the World, that restaurant that was on top of the World Trade. And we've, he, he's taken me there before. Like we, It was just part of, uh, his, near his office, part of our culture and stuff like that. And just to see... People with guns on our on our where the office is. People, you know, military. Just like it was just a bizarre world. And then my dad telling me him watching people jumping off the buildings, and he'll tell, he still talks about it to this day. So that's just a little bit from my father's perspective. And and I think a lot of people talk about it today. You know, people go. It just it doesn't. I didn't really. Th- I you don't think about it every day. It's not something you want to think about every day. Um, but people do ask, does it still affect New York? And I just wanted to give you some stats. It was in a, a, uh, in a newspaper article recently. I think it was the Daily News. So 2,996 people died that day on the World Trade, right? As of this year, 
over a thousand people who went in to respond have died of cancer-related diseases, mostly cancer-related, lung-related. People need double-bypass lung replacement surgery to this day, and it's projected that after the next two years or so, more people will die because they went in to help rebuild than the people that died there that day. So that's just a that's just the straight fact that more people are going to die because of what happened 15 years ago. That's just a fact. So it is still definitely affecting people. And the last thing I'd want to share is last night I was with uh, I was with Jamal and my wife in a in a cab, and I know this may sound weird. So, um, but basically I, we were talking about something something about terrorism, and I something slipped out of my mouth that I said that was just wrong. It was just wrong for me to say, and it was it was hateful. It was really hateful. And I don't even know why I said it. We're talking about it maybe because I was thinking about speaking to you guys today. And I realized you know, I had a lot of hatred, too, in me for, you know, for people that did this. Um, and I realized that myself, I was embarrassed for what I said last night in the cab. And it was, it was, it was weird to even hear me say that because that's not the type of person I am, at least not that I want to be. And my wife was there. One of my best friends was there. And I felt like, why, why, did, I say, why did I say this to for, you know, why did I say this to make a point or be, it's not something I would say. So I would, I would hope that we pray for the people that died, of course, the people that are going to die still because of this, the people that are dealing with stress. One other thing I could share is at the suicide hotline, somebody called uh, this Monday, and he was one of the response workers, and he's planning on killing himself today because he has guilt about not dying that day. So the, the ramifications are still real. It's, it's pretty insane. So I ask you pray for these people that are still struggling with this. But also keep in mind the one thing I, I'm going to pray for personally. We've got to pray for forgiveness, forgiving the people that did this too, which is something nobody talks about. And if we don't talk about that here in this church, then we're all frauds in my opinion. So I, I think that's the real hardest thing to do, at least for me personally. So I guess that, that's all I could say. All right? Thank you, Chase, for sharing. Um, we're going to spend a moment just praying for everybody impacted that day. And like Chase mentioned, there's folks that have been impacted by that day that many of us probably aren't even aware of. And so we're just going to lift those up in prayer. And then after the prayer, we'll have a time of offering as well as we celebrate this morning. So let's just pray with me as I'm praying, please. God, we come to you today, this, this morning. And as you know, it's been 15 years since the uh, terrible attacks and the terrible loss of 9-11. So many lives lost that day, and so many lives are still being lost from that day, even today. And many more that have just been impacted in different ways that many of us probably don't even know of, aren't even aware of. And God, we just pray for those folks, every single individual that lost a loved one that day, um, those that have just been uh, fighting the fact that they survived that day, that survivor's guilt. God, just the pain and the hurt that was experienced that day. But yet, God, we know in you we can find peace. That in the midst of, of uncertainty, in the midst of fear, in the, in the midst of all these things that happen around us, we can find our, our comfort, our, our peace, and our strength and hope in you. God, you are, you are a great and good and gracious, gracious God. We lift up all the, the first responders at the end, their families that were impacted. We lift those that are serving now. As we remember this day, I pray that it also strike that chord in our minds that let's not hold on to hate. 
But let's extend forgiveness. Let's extend grace to, to those that we know we're responsible. As a day that's impacted all of us in, in different ways. As we continue this moment of, of worship and just giving back to you, I pray that we will just be mindful throughout the day of all the events that took place then, but where we are now, where we've come to now. And as we're, we're, we're giving to you this morning, that we'll do it with just a generous heart, knowing that the money that's given is just having far-reaching impacts, not just here in this church, in this community, but this city, this, this country, and even this world. So God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for this opportunity to be here today. And once again, just pray that you would be with every individual that was impacted by 9-11. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as you are aware, Patrick's in Kenya, so please remember to be praying for him as he is serving over there. I know he has shared some things on Facebook, uh, so you can kind of keep up with what's going on. And at the close of the service this morning, we actually got some uh, other pictures and a short video from Patrick to give us all an update on where he's at and what all's going on there in Kenya. So that's going to be exciting to see as well. So glad you're here as we continue our series called Better Together. And just looking at this whole uh, important aspect of uh, us connecting our lives together with one another and how life is better when we do it together. Uh, we weren't created to be alone, but we were created for community, for friendship, for relationships. Um, and so that's what we're going to be looking at. And if you remember, if you were able to make it last week, Patrick began by looking at uh, shared faith. And we looked at Galatians 6, 1 through 10. And if you were here, you remember at the end, you know, made that whole point of we need to bend our shoulders to others, show some grace to others. And this morning I struggled with that as every train station I went through, all three, I had at least a 10-minute wait and just people running into me. I'm sweating like I just ran a marathon and all I did was walk because I'm not running. And, uh, you know, at some point you just got you just want to hit people because, you know, right, they're not moving. Anybody else done this? Is it just me? Because I'm new to the city. I'm walking. Sometimes when I see them coming, it's like I don't think they're going to move. So I'm, I'm questioning myself, do I move? Or do I hit them? Okay. I'm new. Do I need to stand my ground? And, and, but at the last minute, I'm always like, okay, whatever. You know, because when they get closer, it's like, oh, he's really big. Let's let him go. You know, sometimes maybe even turn sideways. But just showing that grace to one another and having that, that shared faith, giving each other the benefit of the doubt uh, ahead of time, just giving them that opportunity, just showing that little bit of grace, sharing that faith, and going through life with them. Had a great time because what we looked at, and what each of us were invited to is to begin that journey in life of uh, towards intimacy together and just knowing one another deeper, more real, and just showing the importance of our relationship with God, but also with one another and how those all work together. And when he threw up the triangle last week, I immediately thought of Phil Jackson, but I don't know if that's the point he was trying to make. Uh, but just showing that, you know, that relationship with God, us, and others, and just how they're all important, how they're all intertwined with one another. And so this morning we're going to continue by taking a look at shared stories. And I'm going to share a little bit of my story with you guys so that you can kind of get to know me better. I'm not going to share all the ins and outs and details necessarily because I want to save those for one-on-one times where maybe we can get together on an individual time, maybe grab a meal or grab a bite to eat or just hang out so we can get to know each other better because I'm still very new uh, to the city. Like I mentioned, next week will be one month that I've been up here. And uh, whether you realize it or not, that's a huge milestone for me because that first week I was like, Mom, I think I need to just come home, okay? This city is big and scary, and I don't know anybody, and just going through that struggle, but God brought me through that, just really learned in just a short time how my trust and reliance on him can go much deeper 
than it's ever been. So it's really been a blessing in disguise. And then next Sunday will be our brunch. So let's keep that in mind. Our brunch, we get to eat, okay? We get to eat. Right, from back home, we'd call these like homecoming meals, fellowships, where everybody just brings like a covered dish, okay? That's what we called them back in the South. And it could be casseroles. And they'll put anything in a casserole in the South, okay? Anything can go in a casserole and they'd bring it. But ultimately... It was just a great time to fellowship with one another, to hang out with one another, get to know each other better, laugh, smile, share life together. And so we'll get to have that next week with our brunch at 1030, where Patrick will also be sharing about uh, shared experiences with one another. And how as we share experiences in life with one another, our relationships go to a different depth with one another. They become more deep, more real with one another. So we'll look at that, and then we'll close in a week after that with shared life, and we'll look at Acts 2 and uh, just look at what it's all about, doing life together as believers and as a, as a faith family. And so I've got a couple pictures I want to turn my back to because I've, told, I've been told that's rude to turn your back to a crowd. But i got a picture just to kind of give you an idea. I'm from Cartersville, Georgia. Okay, that's what this, this weird noise that comes with my voice is. That's called a southern twang. All right. Um, Cartersville is the red dot. Just to give some, because nobody, I've met three people in a month that actually recognize Cartersville. When I say this one, I'm like, ooh, I know where that's at. Just had a hand raise. My heart warmed right there. But it's roughly 40 to 45 miles north of Atlanta, just straight up 75. We actually have three interstate stops that go through Cartersville. It's a, a, a county of a whopping 108,000 people. Okay, so I know that number's going to overwhelm those that live in a city of 8.5 million. Um, and so just a, a great time. I grew up there uh, my whole life, spent my whole life in Bartow County, where my family is. And I still love the city. I spent the, uh, you know, went through high school, all school, elementary, middle school, high school there, graduated in 2002 uh, from Cass High School, and I'll let you do the math on my age because I'm not sharing. And so got that, went on to Kennesaw State University uh, for a few years, uh, just really wrestling with what God would have me to do in my life. Really went through a big time of struggle. I took about every core class Kennesaw offered, I went through it because I was like, I don't really know what I want to do. Uh, And then I kind of said, well, I think maybe I want to be a teacher. So I went into education program. That's the only time I made the dean's list was in uh, early childhood education. So if you're looking to make dean's list in a simple way, the early child education in a college class, it was a great experience there, learned a lot. And then finally realized that I'd just been running from God instead of to what he wanted me to do. Uh, that he'd been working and stirring my heart to be into ministry. And so when I finally just quit running from him, quit fighting him, it was about uh, 2005-ish, 2006-ish, 2006-ish. I transferred from Kennesaw to New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. It's a big old mouthful there to finish my undergrad. And thankfully in that transfer, I only lost 36 credit hours. So I got my four-year degree in seven and a half years. So, you know, that degree's in a frame. It's the only thing I've ever framed intentionally in my life. Once they mailed that to me four months after I graduated, they said they lost my address. I'm like, you didn't when you needed tuition. But anyway, graduated from New Orleans in 2009, July that year with a degree in Christian ministry. So outside of church, that degree is no good for anything, really. So I'm going to have to work on my next level at some point in life as well. But I also want to introduce you to my family this morning. And you can see us from the waist up, so that's not too bad. And if you're wondering what the orange cone thing is, this was at my mom's retirement from the Georgia Department of Transportation. And that was like a mascot thing. We couldn't get him to go, okay? He just... (laughs) It was like a literal guy in a costume at a retirement party. It was really awkward, okay, a little scary at times. But the, the light blue, we'll start to my right, your left. That's my youngest brother, Kyle. And uh, if you're here, you'll get to meet him the week of Thanksgiving. He's coming up uh, for that week, so I'm looking forward to that. Not as much as him having to stay wherever I'm living, but that'll be fine. That's me in the yellow. It's a few years ago, so I looked a little thinner. 
Um, that's my mother in the middle. Um, you know, just love her to death. And you'll get to meet her the week of the carnival. Uh, she's coming up with a team from my home church that sent me to New York. And so I'm looking forward to introducing her to y'all. Y'all is another South word. That's you all. Okay. You all is what that means. Ewans is another one. Uh, and the white shirt is my middle brother, Eric. He's three years younger than me. Kyle is nine years younger than me. Uh, we like to call Kyle. Oops. Mom gets mad. Um, <laughs> That's my dad on the far, far end there, and uh, I'm not sure if you'll meet him. I don't know. He keeps saying, I don't like big cities. You know, he's, you know, he's just not about walking, okay? He doesn't like to walk like I got bad knees from just being old, and, um, <laughs> and so I'm going to really, really work on getting him up here because I, I, I want you guys to meet my family. I want my family to get to meet you guys who are becoming my new friends, my new family up here, so I'm really, really looking forward to those opportunities, and some of you may have met Eric back in May. He was up. He works for the Bank of the Ozarks, and they've got one branch in town in the Rockefeller Plaza on the fourth floor, and so it's just so convenient. And so, um, you know, he he may come up some as well. But I definitely wanted to introduce you to my family. Love them, and I want to hopefully get the opportunity for you to get to meet them as well. But I want to pick back up after uh, seminary. We'll go a little bit into Kennesaw times. Okay, I'm out of high school. Uh, I uh, accepted Christ at a very young age. Uh, it was that summer between my 8th grade and ninth grade years. Anybody remember those times in your own life? Uh, just a few will admit it. The rest are like, I'm not raising my hand, not doing this right now. I, I'm not going to ask you to say anything, but I, I will may ask you to raise a hand or you know, throw a head nod or something. Okay, feedback is okay. I'm not going to point you out. But in that time in my life, I was at a church called Atco Baptist Church. And for our summer youth camp, we'd go down to Panama City Beach every year to a place called Laguna Retreat Center. It's about five miles to the west past Pier Park in Panama City, just to give a reference for anybody that knows the area. And so we'd go there, and then one summer, see, I got one. She's, she's excited. I'm thankful for her, okay? <laughs> thankful she's not bothering me at all, so feel free to stay right where you're at there. And so at that, at that retreat that, that week, that Thursday night specifically, um, I don't remember the guy's name speaking. I don't even remember much of what his message was. Other than the fact that at the end, uh, he shared about who Jesus was and what Jesus did and how, he, um, how each of us is in need of a Savior. And I just remember in that moment, God almost, I just felt like being dragged out into the, the walkway almost like, man, this is a decision that I need to be making in my life. This is a decision that I've never made in my life to surrender my life to who Jesus is to make him uh, the Lord of my life, but also the Savior of my life. And so that night, I went down, met with my student pastor at the time. And uh, we talked for a while, prayed for a while, and it was that night where I accepted Christ as my Savior. And then just a, a few weeks after that, I was baptized at the local church there. But the reality is, for me, um, in that moment, I know for a fact that my life was changed. I know for a fact that I accepted Christ. But for me, it took a little longer for me to begin to really take that relationship seriously. Uh, there were many years where I just kind of ran from it. I knew where I needed to be. I knew where God wanted me to be. But also it's fighting that whole urge, like, here's where I want to be, God. Here's what I want to be doing right now in my own life. And I just remember that whole period just being, looking back now, thinking, if only. <laughs> Jeremy, if only you'd have took your relationship with Christ more seriously than just how different could your life have been? What impact could your life have really made? You know, you, sometimes you look back, what opportunities, man, I miss. But in the end, I also look back and see, okay, I can see why I went through some of what I went through. Um, because the reality is, our stories are powerful. Your story is powerful because stories impact people. Stories can make a difference in our lives. I mean, stories can engage us. 
so much quicker than just somebody lecturing us or even sometimes reading about somebody. You hear somebody telling and sharing a story. It can grab a hold of our emotions. It can open our mind and our hearts up to what's being shared. I don't know about y'all. If you've ever seen the commercial, Robin Williams uh, used to do the, the St. Jude's commercials. I don't know if, if you've seen those. Uh, but there were some before him that they did, and they just kind of shared, here's what St. Jude's does. And it's a great cause. Well, here comes Robin Williams, and just the only way he can. He shared a story about like, this little child going through this, you know, just terrible disease. By the end, I'm sitting on the land on the couch crying. <laughs> you know, I'm just dying because he shared this story, and it really grabbed a hold of my heart. And the thing is, our stories can do the same for other people. And so what I want to I, I go ahead and what I want to do is go ahead and get this question in your mind. What is your story? Ask yourself, what is my story? So I went through, got saved, had that, that, that life-changing experience with, with Christ at camp, continued my time at ATCO. I even served at this church called ATCO for two years as the youth pastor. I didn't know what I was doing. Okay, I'll be the first to admit. I learned more in those two years of what not to do than anything of how to do things right. Because at one point, I remember being in the office and my pastor comes in. He says, Jeremy? I'm like, yes, sir. You realize you got a student on the roof of the church? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There I go run. <laughs> and a student somehow had found his way onto the roof of the church about three stories up. So I had to get him down there. So I didn't really know what I was doing. And, and from that, I allowed uh, doubts and questions to creep in on, is this really what God wants me to do? I allowed Satan just to throw those doubts and questions in my mind to distract me, keep me busy. So I stepped away from ministry for a few years, thinking this isn't what God wants me to do. Just kind of ran from it. Eventually, thankfully, came back to it, got connected with a student pastor. He'd been student, doing student ministry over 20 years. And so I was able to get with him, mentor with him, intern with him. And the past church that I, I was at for, I moved up here. Uh, the church that sent me uh, to New York is Tabernacle Baptist. I served there for 10 years. I went from a student ministry intern to a student ministry associate to a middle school pastor to a student pastor. And I just uh, enjoyed my time there. It was an incredible time and phase of my life where I just learned a whole lot about myself, about Christ, about God, and about his church. But in 03, or 2013, rather, <laughs> came up on a, with a small team to New York City. It was when Patrick was looking at just starting this church, trying to figure out, you know, what we're going to be about, where we're going to do ministry, what it's going to all be about. And we came up as a vision team because our church wanted to financially partner with New City. And so I spent four days up here, and back home they said it was just a food tour because Patrick took us to all the, you know, the, the, the great places to eat. Here's the cool this, cool that. We ate. I ate more food in those four days, but it's okay because I'm pretty sure I walked it all off every single day because uh, at one point, those two of our team, I thought they were dying walking, okay? It sounded like they're having walking heart attacks because Patrick's, we're not in the south, we drive, okay? So we have cars that, you know, and we don't have to worry about the traffic up here. I'd have a stress attack and just, I'd just pull over and just never use it again, um, and so, but just through that, what I didn't realize was God was opening my heart to this city. What I didn't know then was anybody in this room, I think that's maybe the first time I met Christy. I can't remember if I met Danielle then or not. Who knows, you know, who knows? Don't tell her I said that. I um, met PJ and Natalie uh, and Miss Katie for the first time. I'd known Patrick through ministry connections. And, and what I didn't realize was, like, man, that was a cool city. I really enjoyed my time in that city. God, could you be calling me? to move to this city. So I, I put it out of the back of my mind, and uh, just over the course of those next two years, I came up here. Um, one time just came up, I served with the coach for the city. Uh, that was the coldest I've ever been in my life. Uh, PJ was there. It's so cold. PJ is taking coats off the jackets that are for the community, and we're just layering up, okay, because it is so cold. Such a cool day, though, to serve uh, the community. I've been up once for the carnival last year, and that was just an incredible day. I got sunburnt in New York City. 
So that was incredible because I'm sitting there the whole day like this, the sun just pelting on my forehead. And as you can see with his hair like it is, it's just a big forehead. It's like a five head. And the sun just right to it. And then also I came up one spring break uh, with our high school ministry at the time. And we got to serve in the, the park right outside, help clean that up. I uh, did some surveying in the city, did some prayer walking in the city, just had a great overarching experience. And through those trips, God made it very clear that he was putting New York in my heart for a reason. It wasn't just, hey, here's a cool city. Let's just keep going back whenever you want. It was like, I'm moving you to this city. I'm calling you to this city. And so this past October, um, Patrick and I talked and had a conversation on the phone. I was like, yeah, I think this is that time of life where God has called me to this city and it's time for me to make that that decision, take that step of faith. And so the next step was, okay, when do I tell my pastor? Okay, so I waited for his birthday and I told my pastor that I was leaving the church and moving to New York City. And uh, and he was like, thanks for the great gift. And But he was also saying, if this is what God's calling you to do, then you have nothing but my full support. And as a church, we want to send you and support you. And it's just what was a scary walking in moment because I'm like, oh, is he going to get mad? Is he going to yell at me? Is he going to make me just leave today? Uh, he was like, Let's pray together about this because this is exciting. We want to send you to New York. We want to continue our partnership with New City Church. And it's just an incredible, incredible, bittersweet moment, you know, leaving the place that I'd been for right at 10 years doing ministry. Uh, just an incredible time. But the church was so gracious and sent me up here. So I moved up August 16th. It was a Tuesday. That Thursday, I began work at Chick-fil-A, uh, the big one at 37th and 6th. That's been a blessing in different ways, um, mainly just meeting the people there. It, the, during rush time, that's a, that's a rough job sometimes. I just stand at the register, but so grateful that God opened that door for an opportunity for employment, uh, for an opportunity to meet people, interact with our city. And that's just briefly the story that brings me here today. And I want to just kind of rebring back up, what's your story? Just ask yourself, what's my story? In the uh, New Testament, we read about the Apostle Paul so many times, uh, just the incredible things that he did, that he was able to accomplish through God working through and in his life. Uh, but in Acts 22, uh, we get in a situation where Paul is sharing his story with some folks. But to lead up to that point of him sharing, we've got to realize that at first, as Paul was going into the temple, just a few verses before this, some of the local Jews saw him and was like, oh no, oh no. And so they went and actually got up to him, got Paul, dragged him out, shut the temple gate behind him, make sure that he couldn't get in there because they were thinking he was desecrating. They believed he was desecrating the temple. So they just dragging him in the street, and they were ready to just kill him. They were wanting to kill him right there, just beat him to death right there. Uh, and in the midst of this riot, thankfully, some of the Roman soldiers got word or noticed that this was going on, and they weren't going to have it. And so one of the commanders took some, a lot of his troops. They went down to the situation that was going on, stopped what was going on, saved Paul's life in that moment. And since he couldn't get any clear answer from the crowd, like, why are you beating this man why are you trying to kill this guy? They arrested Paul, and they were just going to take him back to the fortress, try to figure out what was going on. And it got so bad at one point that the soldiers had to carry Paul on their shoulders to protect him as the crowd was chanting, kill him, kill him. So it's not the crowd you want to be in, okay, or be around. Um, and so they get him into the fortress. And one of the, the crazy, crazy things is that as he is, Paul is going into the fortress, he stops the commander and asks him, may I address the crowd? I want to share my story with the crowd. And so we pick up in Acts 22, and, and I'll, I'll be quick with this because I, you know, I don't plan on being here any later than 2.30, so um, I'm kidding for any that don't pick, sorry. Probably not a good joke right now. <laughs> 
But in Acts 22, we read, and this is where Paul, and he, Paul starts out speaking their native tongue. So immediately he has the attention of the crowd, like, whoa, he speaks our tongue. So he's immediately got that common ground, so to speak. He has a platform to then use to share his story. And so as you're thinking about what is your story, also be intentional. Look, what is my platform? Maybe it's a talent. Maybe it's a gift. Maybe it's an ability. Think about that. So Paul goes on. He says, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So we're seeing, there's three things I want you to get. And like I said, I promise I will be brief. I want to respect your time. But what we're going to see and what I want you to get to be thinking of it when it's your story, uh, when it comes to our uh, relationship with Jesus, there's a, a before period in our life, a how period, and then an after. What was your life like before you met Jesus? How did you meet him? Then how's your life been after you've met him? And what those are, just kind of a backbone and a foundation for us to be able to share that specific story with someone else. And so Paul is sharing that. He shared, here's how, before Christ, here's who I was. I was actually the one that went and arrested other believers. I would persecute them, lock them in prison, have them beaten, have them killed. We read earlier in Acts where he stood by as Stephen, as Stephen was sharing uh, the gospel, that he was stoned to death. And Paul was the man holding everybody's jacket so they could throw rocks more clearly, more easily. So he was involved in that in a big way. He's like, man, this is what my life was like. But then he says, about noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. It's noon in the day, so that had to be a super, super bright light. That's going to be an intention, an intention getter right there. So he says, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you, you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. Pretty incredible transformation moment there. Um, I know when I was at summer camp, there wasn't a blinding light that blinded me and I fell into the pool or anything of that nature. It was a more simple, just somebody shared the gospel with me. Somebody shared the story of Jesus with me and it impacted my life in a huge way. Paul's was on a big scale. That doesn't mean all of ours will be. Some may be. But just because it's simple and not this big, huge display, it doesn't lessen its incredible transformative power in any way. So Paul has shared... Here's before, here's how I met Christ. And he goes on to say, A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And so we see this before. We see this how. We see this after that after this moment where Paul encountered Christ, his life was changed forever, and he was sent on a mission to pretty much reach the world with the gospel. 
So he went around and sharing his story and shared the story of Jesus because stories are powerful. Stories impact our lives. You have a story. You have a story to share. I don't know if anybody in here, I, I'm big. I don't care about politics as much, but I love a good political show. Okay, I'm very entertained. I like House of Cards on Netflix or I found the West Wing on Netflix. Like, ooh, this is new. No, it's not. Okay, it's super old. But I've been watching it and I just get engaged with the whole political thing, whatnot. And that's not the purpose of this. But in that uh, show, there was a, a moment where there was a story shared. And this is, I want to share it with you as we close. It said, this guy's walking down the street when he falls in a hole. The walls are so steep, he can't get out. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up, hey you, can you help me out? The doctor writes a prescription, throws it down in the hole and moves on. Then a priest comes along and the guy shouts out, father, I'm down in this hole, can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down in the hole and moves on. Then a friend walks by, hey Joe, it's me, can you help me out? And the friend jumps in the hole. Our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. The friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. Your story can very easily be the way out for somebody. So let's not hesitate to share. Let's not hesitate to get engaged with those. And it may not be your story of meeting Jesus. It may be your story about how Jesus has brought you through something in your life. I know for a fact I've been through, some, I made some poor choices in my younger years that at one point in time my question was like, God, why, why would you allow me to go through this? Just to discover a few years later, me introduced to a friend that's going through the same thing. And now I have this opportunity to share with him. Here's how Jesus brought me through this. Or even maybe to share into their lives. Look, this is why you don't want to make this decision. As we share our stories with one another, we're going to naturally connect with one another in a deeper way. We're going to get to know each other better. And that's going to be a game changer. Because when we get to know each other better, we're going to care for each other more. And when we start caring for each other more, we're going to be doing life together and incredible things Will begin to take place. So I challenge you uh, this week. I encourage you this week to just think through what is your story? What is my story? Then also, who will I share it with? Who will I share it with? Don't miss out on what your story can do in somebody else's life. Don't miss out on what it can possibly do in your life. Sometimes I can just walk back through my story and just be reminded of God's faithfulness and just be encouraged. Just be lifted up from that alone. But share your story.